Hey, I want to conclude our series this morning that we've been doing called My Crazy Emojis. And it's a, it's a series about emotions because I think we all have emotions. We all deal with these things. And so I think this is a, a sermon series that I could preach for a year straight and uh, continue to see people grow. So I hope you've been blessed by this. And I believe today I'm going to give you just some practical things that I believe can help you in your emotions because we believe that your emotions are actually a device that you can control and there's choices that you can make and things that you can change in your life to actually help your emotions in certain ways. And so the title of my message this morning is The War Within. The War Within. Uh, I want to read a couple verses this morning to start off here. The first one, there are two verses uh, by Paul. Uh, he wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, and then we're going to jump to Philippians 4, 8. But let's put them on the screen uh, this morning so you can read along with us. It says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, I do not understand what I do. This is the Apostle Paul. This is like a heavyweight Christian, right? He wrote, he wrote um, all these books in the New Testament, and everyone knows the Apostle Paul. And, and he says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate I do. Can anybody relate with the, with, uh, the Apostle Paul this morning? Makes me feel a little better to know I'm not the only one who's got um, issues, okay? And so I want to read one more verse, and then we're going to tie these together uh, this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I think dealing with emotions is a tricky thing, and we all like to say, you know, you get the question all the time, how are you? And our auto response, everyone, everyone says most of the time is, I'm okay, or I'm good. We all want to believe we're okay, right? And I've learned that every generation has, as we express it in different ways, you can kind of tell what era someone's from by how they express it when you say, are you okay? If, if you walk up to someone and you say, are you okay? And they say, I'm all right. I mean, you know, you can tell what era they're from. Right? Or maybe you'll walk up to someone and you say, are you okay? And they might respond with, I'm straight, I'm straight. And you're like, okay, okay. Uh, maybe you walk up to someone, you can tell where they come from, and you, when they say, you ask, are you okay? And they say, I'm blessed and highly favored, amen. Yeah, and you might know where, who you're talking to. Or you might walk up and they'll say, you know what, I'm chill, I'm chill. And then the one that gets me, if you walk up to a young person today and you say, are you okay, you'll probably get the response, which uh, it just, I might throw up in my mouth when I say it, but um, it says, they say, I'm Gucci, I'm Gucci, <laughs> I'm Gucci. But we all want to believe we're okay, but if we're honest, we are not all always okay. We go through things, and we have a lot more going on in our heart than we express with our mouths sometimes. And there's seasons in your life where we are going to go through things because we are all in a war, whether you admit it or not. You know this morning that life is not a playground. Life is a battleground. And you're going to have to understand that you're going to have conflict in your life. Scripture throws us, shows us three sources of conflict. The first one is the devil, okay? We have an enemy, we have an adversary. Uh, sometimes we mess up by blaming too many things on the devil, I think. This is just one of our sources of conflict. I heard a, a pastor say one time, the devil is bad, he's evil. If, if you take the D, D off of devil, you get evil. The devil is so evil. And if you take the E off of devil, you get vile. The devil is vile. And if you take the V off, you get evil ill. The devil makes me ill. And if you take the eye off, you get ill. The devil wants to send you straight to ill. And I'm like, okay. But so I think we do, we do too much in that area. Sometimes you just got to say you're doing too much. Okay. Um, 
we have a second area of conflict we're going to uh, run into in life, and that's that there, we are in a world that is hostile towards God. And so there's a world that's hostile towards God, and it will cause you conflict sometimes. Maybe, maybe an example of this in your life would be someone came up to you and said, oh, you're a Christian, huh? You think you're better than me? You know, and, and so we, we, we run up against these different conflicts. And the third area of conflict that Scripture shows us is an area of conflict that actually I want to focus on today, and that is our fleshly nature. We have many areas of conflict in our life. Can I be honest with you this morning, though? I think we are our own worst enemy. I think we blame a lot on other people or circumstances or the devil, but really we are masters of self-sabotage. A few months ago, you might have seen this if you have social media or I don't know if it was on the news or not, but there was this artist named Banksy. And he, he created this piece of art called Girl in a Balloon. And it was going up for auction at Sotheby's. And, and it was pretty amazing because he, he, let me just show you the video. You just watch what happened here. As you can see, the artist Banksy, he did not like the fact that art was sold for money because he thought it defeated the fact that it's art. And so he put this self-sabotage into this painting. If it ever went up for auction, he just pressed this button and the painting shredded itself. And, and there's all the security you see in the video. They run up and, they, and why is security there? They're there to protect the painting from the people, right? But the problem is the painting didn't need protection from people. It needed protection from itself. And I think many times in life, our own worst enemy is ourselves. And we are masters, like, like Banksy did with his painting, we are masters of self-sabotage. We are our own worst enemy. Paul described the conflict this way, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I hate, the things I don't want to do, those things I do. You see, in critical moments in your life, you yourself shred yourself. We do the shredding ourselves. We all have battles. Maybe your battle is moodiness or anxiety. Maybe you struggle with depression. Maybe you struggle with suicidal thoughts. Maybe you're, you're trying to numb yourself with medication or, or overeating or shopping. But, but whatever it is that you do that you struggle with, uh, the things we need to do to help ourselves, we don't do. Why is that? But the things that, that are actually going to make us feel good in the moment that we shouldn't do, we do those things. And we, we're really um, like a person suffering out at sea in a, in a lifeboat, drinking salt water, thinking it's going to make them better because it feels good in the moment, but it's slowly killing them. In the same way, we do things in our lives that are slowly killing us because it feels better in the moment, but we're really drinking in salt water and exposing ourselves to poison the entire time. But the very thing we want to do, we don't do. 
I read this um, statistic this week, and it was really interesting to me, and it's a statistic about the rate at which people take their prescriptions. And so you would think if, if you got a prescription from the doctor, the doctor said, this is what you need to get better, you're going to go take it. But it's pretty interesting. If 100 people walk away from their doctor with a prescription, statistics tell us one-third of those people will never fill it. <clears throat> That's right off the top. <clears throat> and then of the 60, <clears throat> worship was too good, I lost my voice this morning. Of the 67 remaining who fill it, half of those will not follow the orders on the bottle correctly and will not finish the prescription. And so now we're talking 33 people who do what the doctor said. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting that this is even true when it comes to medication to fight off the effects of organ transplant. The same statistics are true. That when people get an organ transplant, the doctor tells them what to do. Only 33 out of 100 will do exactly what the doctor says. And, and you know when the only time that they found that these statistics aren't true and they actually are filled at a, an alarmingly high rate is when a prescription is given for your pet. But I started thinking about this and what does it say about us? What does it say about the way we, we have this self-loathing mentality that we take better care of our animals than ourselves? You see, we do these things that we don't want to do and the things we need to do, we don't do. We all struggle with this. I want to tell you about uh, one of our presidents. His, one is an awesome president. His name was Teddy Roosevelt. Um, he, you've all heard stories of him, I'm sure. But Teddy Roosevelt, he was an amazing president. He was an awesome man. Uh, he was actually the youngest president we've ever had. He was the first to ride in a submarine. He was the first to ride in an airplane as the president. He was the first president to own a car and the first president to have a phone in his home. He was the first American ever to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And he was the first American president to ever, who ever had the Medal of Honor for serving in the military. And it was from his involvement in the Spanish-American War. And in the Spanish-American War, he, he always wanted to be a soldier when he was a child, but he was actually a sickly child. And so he, he had these aspirations to be this big, strong man someday. And he, he grew up and, and he fulfilled many of his aspirations. He was actually thought of as one of the toughest guys ever. I'm telling you, this guy was so tough. One time he, he was about to give a speech and he was shot but he continued and gave the speech anyways. And it was a really rousing speech, they say. But, but I'm telling you, this guy was so tough, I think Chuck Norris checks under his bed for Teddy Roosevelt, okay? And he, he was an amazing, amazing man. His, there's, his had this crazy life. He had terrible things happen in his life. Tragedy struck him too when his mother and his wife died on the same day in the same house. And as a result, he, he pushed away his daughter. He moved away and never spoke about his mother or his wife again. Because back in the day, that's how you dealt with um, grief. And by the way, that's not healthy. Don't do that, okay? But that's the way they dealt with it back in the day. He actually moved to South Dakota and took up ranching until the war began. And then during the war, he fought with this group called the Rough Riders. And the Rough Riders were a, a ragtag group of people that were cowboys, Native Americans, and Harvard graduates. It's a true story, okay? And they made up, they made up this group called the Rough Riders. And, and as history tells us, the Rough Riders took San Juan Hill, which was a hill that the military had been trying forever. And this ragtag group of men, they did it. They took San Juan Hill, the Rough Riders. And there's a story that Teddy Roosevelt told about uh, when they took San Juan Hill. And he said he was riding his horse and he rode up to this line of barbed wire across the ground. 
And he said in that moment, he, he, he thought to himself, this is, this is a line in my life. If I cross this, there's no going back. And, and I'm scared of what's on the other side of this line. I have a choice right now. I can turn back and do what I want to do, or I can go forward and do what I know I need to do, and the harder thing. And, and he went on, he pressed on and did it. Other soldiers said he went on to be the greatest soldier they'd ever seen. Uh, they took San Juan Hill and the next hill that same day. And so it was an amazing story. And Teddy Roosevelt actually says of this day that it was the greatest day of his life. And, and he, actually, he says when he, took, when he went over that line, he said there's something that happened inside of him. He says the power of a wolf rose up on the inside of him. And I need you to know this morning, I believe many of us stand at this line this morning saying, do I want to go forward into everything that God has called me to do and step forward into maturity and grow in character and get control of my emotions? Or do I want to turn back and continue to go into old mindsets and do what I've always done and continue to struggle with, the, with this thing? But I believe this morning, if we step over the line, I believe the Holy Spirit will rise up in us and give us a power like a wolf to say, you know what? I'm not who I used to be. And there's some things inside of me that God is dealing with, but I'm not going to be afraid to to go forward. I'm going to choose the things that I want to do and I'm going to do them. I believe God wants to do that in some lives this morning. Um, what, first of all, wolves is, is an interesting subject because I bring that up because in the scripture, wolves are talked about in a negative light, right? So Pastor Brent, why are we talking about wolves? They're bad. Yes, they're bad and good. If you look in the scripture, serpents are bad too, but Jesus also said we must be wise as a serpent. And so there are good attributes of a wolf that I think we can, we can learn for, and they're a powerful, powerful animal. And the thing I want to focus on this morning as we zero in on it is I believe you need to think like a wolf. I, need, I believe we need to think differently. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It matters what comes into your mind. It matters what comes in your mind. Why? Because you can change the way you feel by changing the way you think. The way you think is responsible for so much self-sabotage in your life. And if we can get control over these, these thoughts, we can take the wheel back in our life because you cannot have uh, negative thoughts and have a positive life. If you can't get your thoughts right, you can't have the right life. You, you, the direction your thoughts are going control the way your life goes. Pastor Brett, do you have scripture to back this up? I sure do. I'm glad you asked. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind mind. You see, if you want to live right, you got to think right. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, we often allow our thinking throughout the day to devolve into negative thoughts. And do you know what? The thing is about thinking, if you devolve into negative thoughts daily, you start, the thing you're looking for, you will find. Meaning, if, you're, if your mind is negative, you will find things to be negative about. The reward for negativity is more negativity. God made our minds so interesting with the fact that whatever you're looking for, you're going to find. And this is important that you learn this. I believe this is going to help some people this morning because you, can, you control what thoughts stay in your mind. 
You can't control the thoughts that come into your mind, but you can control the thoughts that stay in your mind. You choose what thoughts to accept and which ones to reject. That's why the scripture says, make every thought obedient to Christ. And so we, you, you did it this morning. You had thoughts this morning. Think You woke up and said, I think I want to go to church. But, I mean, I got a lot of laundry to do. Uh, and you, and you, maybe you got past that thought. Maybe you thought, but, you know, I got, I got a lot of errands to run today. I got to get the kids ready. I mean, in football, I can't miss football. Like, my fantasy team is projected to win today. This is, this is and all these thoughts come into our mind, and you made a choice to come to church. So you've already, you've already won this morning, that battle. But I'm saying you made a choice based on thoughts that came into your mind, which ones you would entertain and which ones would distract you. And so this morning, you have to understand that there, there's, it's important that we know that we can think about, we can think it, but refuse to think about it. And I think if we get control over our thoughts that way, then we'll understand you don't have to think about everything you feel, but you will feel everything you choose to think about. And so I can control everything I think about, but whatever I choose to think about, I'm going to feel the results of thinking about those things. And so if it's a device, I can actually lead my thoughts. And, and it's important if I'm intentional. Uh, Arnold Zwicky put it this way. It, he calls it the frequency illusion. And he says, once you've noticed a phenomenon, you think it happens a whole lot, even all the time. You see, when you, when you stare at something, it causes you to see it more typically than you would. And there are two psychological, we're going to get into it this morning. There are two psychological ideas in play called selective attention and confirmation bias. And what this means, and you'll live this out, here's an example. Uh, you know when you look at that car you wanna buy? Or maybe you just got a new car and, and you love it, and all of a sudden you go out driving on the street and you see them everywhere? Has this ever happened to you? You know there are no more than before, but now, because of selective attention, you notice it more? And then what happens is our mind sends endorphins to our brain when you notice one saying, good job, buddy, you found one. And endorphins go into our brain, and we pat ourselves on the back and say, find another one. That's what confirmation bias is. And this, the way this works in our emotions is you get into a relationship based on what happened in the last relationship, thinking they're going to hurt me or they're going to lie to me. And now I have trust issues in my new relationship. And every, I'm always on the lookout because of selective attention. And if I see one area that this person fails in, I pat myself on the back and say, good job, buddy. You found it. I knew this was going to happen. Or maybe uh, you walk into work thinking they're going to be rude to me like they were before. Maybe you walk into that group of friends and they're laughing and you think they're laughing at me because of something that happened before. And now every time it happens, you notice it and you're looking for things that aren't even there. And actually confirmation bias will make you think things that aren't even true. Meaning, oh, they don't, they don't even like, they don't even want me at this church. One person forgot to say hi to you, all of a sudden you're like, they don't even care about me. You know why? Because you were looking for something. If you're looking for a reason to leave your marriage, you'll find one. If you're looking for a reason to leave church, you'll find one. If you're looking for a reason to feel negative throughout the day, you're going to find it. That's what Zwicky taught us with confirmation bias and selective attention. But this also works in the opposite way. You see, if we're looking for negative things, we'll find it and we'll say, see, I knew it. This is the story of my life. But I can also look for positive things. I can look for the good in people. I can look for reasons that people do care about me. I can look for anything in the right direction and say, you know what? I knew this was going to happen. Story of my life. It's a good story. 
because I'm looking for it. You see, this is important that we learn this. If you're staring at it, you'll see more of it. So what are you staring at? There's nothing more negative than before in many of your lives. You're just choosing to look for it. You're choosing to stare at it. I think you need to understand that this is not a positive thinking as a replacement for God. Because I think there's a lot of that in the church and I don't believe in that. I think this is about thinking positively as a response to God. Because God, now I'm going to allow my thoughts to get in line with the mind of Christ. I'm going to allow my thoughts to line up with what he says and not with what other people say about me. And we can be intentional about our thoughts because you cannot worry and worship at the same time. That means I can move my thoughts in the right direction and see progress. You cannot be accidentally negative while you are being intentionally positive. You can't be. And so if I'm using my day to look for positive things and think positively and do it, Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is Paul's prescription to us when we're dealing with these issues in our emotions. Think about these things. This is the secret, not to stop being negative, but to look for something different. Do you ever, you know, the, you ever play that game called the game? Like some of you, if you know what I'm talking about, you just lost. Because the, the way the game is, if you don't think about the game, you win. And so if you can change your thoughts to think about anything else but the game, it's the dumbest thing. I know. Some of you are like, what in the world? I don't know. I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. They enjoyed it. It's, it's dumb. But the secret, the secret was, not, was not to stop. <laughs> the secret was not to think about the game. It was to think about something different. And it's the same way in life. The secret is to fill your mind intentionally with what's right, not to stop being negative. Because we tell people all the time, stop being negative. And that's not really a prescription. What do I put in the place of that? You know, in the 90s, we had this thing called DARE, and, and it was to keep kids off drugs. But I think the, why it, it could have done more is because it never gave kids something to replace it with. It just said, don't do drugs. Okay, what do I do? And and it did a lot of good. I'm not saying it didn't, but I think you would have to fill that space with something. And I'm not here this morning telling you don't be negative. I'm telling you fill your mind with positive things and godly things. And the negativity will no longer have a place in your mind. Try, instead of pouting, try praising. Instead of grumbling, try gratitude. Instead of being critical, why don't you try encouraging people? And I think our mind will begin to line up with the mind of God and things will change in our life. I think it's time this morning that we declare war on our old way of thinking. I think that we are our own worst enemy and there's some areas in our minds and our hearts that we can declare war on and say, God, I believe you can change this thing. And I believe if I begin to get my thoughts and my mind in control and under your guidance, then you can control my feelings. And some of us, we think this is hard, and, and you're probably standing at a line like Teddy Roosevelt thinking, I have su- these, these pathways of negativity are just engraved in my mind so deeply, I just don't even know how I'm going to change them. I'm telling you, they're engraved, this is like the Grand Canyon in my mind, okay? There's these pathways of just, it's just my natural reaction to be negative, but I want to encourage you that I think if you choose to step over that line and say, God, I want to do this and I want your help, the Holy Spirit will let the power of a wolf rise up in your heart and you'll be able to do things that you can't do on your own. Or 
You can just turn back and continue to be a negative person and be your own worst, your own worst enemy. But I think there's many of us this morning who want to say, you know what, I don't want to sabotage my own life anymore. I don't want to sabotage my family anymore, my coworkers. I don't want to be a self-sabotage artist like Banksy anymore. I want to do something about it. And the truth is, I think this morning you need to understand, is life is not so much about what happens to you. It's about how you respond to what happens to you. And so when things happen, these negative thoughts want to come in. I have to choose the way I'm going to respond. And this is seen through scripture. Um, Two of my favorite disciples, I shouldn't say favorite. Well, okay. Two of the most famous disciples, Peter and Judas. That's why I can't say Judas is like one of my favorites. That's weird, but... They, they're, they're two of the most famous disciples. And can I tell you, when you look at scripture, it's interesting because they both walked with Jesus personally for three years. They both had a relationship with Jesus. They knew him well. I mean, they both saw him take two fish and five loaves and feed 5,000 people and open the first red lobster. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Both of them saw all of these things. They both had the same circumstances, and this, this is good, but they both also failed Jesus. You see, Lazarus, he, he had this relationship with Jesus, and he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver to be arrested to these authorities. Judas, what did I say? Oh, wow, we're getting off, off the scripture here this morning. I apologize. Judas, and so he sold him for 30 pieces of silver, and uh, it's interesting because Jesus' last words to Judas were, friend, do what you came to do. I can't believe, if I'm Jesus, I'm not calling Lazarus a friend on this day, okay? I'm like, what's up, chump? You got something to say? Let's do this thing. But he called him friend. You know what that tells me is Jesus gave Lazarus an option to come back. Here, Josh, come preach, man. I can't do this anymore. Jesus gave Judas an option to come back. Woo! I got, all right, shh. I got I to gotta recover. Peter, on the other hand, he didn't sell Jesus. He didn't get paid for Jesus. He actually denied Jesus three times. And before Jesus um, died on the cross and was arrested, he told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter was like, What? Jesus, that, I wouldn't do that. Me, Jesus, um, we're ride or die. I mean, I'm not going to go denying you before people. And then you know who we denied him before the scripture says? A little girl. A little girl who's like, don't you know him? Weren't you? And it's the Bible, the scripture actually says he like cursed this girl out, okay? And so he was like adamant, I do not know Jesus. And so Judas got paid Peter was afraid, but they both failed Jesus. They both knew Jesus. They both walked with Jesus. They both saw Jesus do the same things, and they both failed Jesus. Same circumstances, different response. Lazarus never came back. Peter, he did. And and I think it's important that you understand failure is not... I don't believe you. I don't believe you this morning. All right, I'm going to have to go back and watch the video, make sure you guys are on. It's like autopilot now, man. I can't even change this. Lazarus was not a disciple. I know who Lazarus was, okay? Oh, my gosh. 
Help me recover, yes, thank you, confirmation bias. Selective attention and confirmation bias. This is just a visual illustration. I hope you all got that, okay? No, <laughs> Yeah. So, I wanna ask you this morning, how do you view your failures when you view them? Do you view them like Lazarus? I'm just kidding, that was on purpose. Do you view them like Judas or Peter? Because your failure is an event, it is not a person. And I think Judas saw this failure as the end of his life. It was over. But Peter was able to recover because it was an event in his life. And Jesus came and restored Peter. But sometimes the way we view our failures, it changes things. You can see your failure as the end or you can say it, see it as fuel for your future. Because the truth is, you cannot succeed without failure. The biggest success stories in life all started with failures. You have to fail in order to succeed, and you are not a victim to your failures. You are not at the mercy of your failures. The scripture says you are more than an overcomer. I believe there's a power of a wolf that comes through the Holy Spirit that says, you know what, my failures are not gonna determine who I am. They are fuel for my future and I'm gonna move past them. I'm gonna fail forward and not fail backwards and say, you know what, I, get, I went through it and I messed up, but I learned some stuff and it's helping me to get my mind right. I want my thoughts to be like Christ's thoughts about me. And in... in <laughs> Judas's last moments, Jesus called him friend. That was his thoughts towards Judas. And I want you to know this morning that God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And it's time that we understand that and we got to elevate our thinking to be on the level with God's thoughts about you and get your, get your mind on the same level as God. The, the scripture calls it the mind of Christ. And you know what that means? If I can do that, that means I can have the same circumstances but a new rhythm in my mind. Can I get the worship team to come help me? Bring me back from this, Josh. Please help me. I can have the same things happen that used to happen before, but now I'm no longer going to respond like Judas. I'm going to respond like Peter. It's the same song, a new rhythm. It's going to be the hottest track of 2018, all right? It's your life, the remix this morning, okay? You're, you're going to get in rhythm where my, the rhythm of my thoughts are no longer according to my emotions, but they're according to God thought, God's thoughts and the mind of Christ is the way my, the rhythm of my life is going to look. And that means I'm going to view things different because rhythm, it does something to us. Music, it moves us, right? When you get the, a song with a good rhythm, it does something to us. It causes something to rise up in us. In middle school, in some of high school, I, I was in uh, wrestling. And I remember before wrestling, I've never been like an aggressive like person. Like wrestling was not natural for me. That's why I quit it after a few years. But but before a match, we would always listen to like certain songs that would get you pumped and hyped because this other guy's coming in there to like hurt you and you gotta like, you gotta be aggressive. And I remember I always used to listen to this song before I would uh, go out and I, and it's, it's, not, it's not spiritual, okay? I'm gonna warn you right now because I needed to, it needed to get me going and it was, uh, it was the song Blind by Corn. Have anybody ever heard that? That song, I'm telling you, it would get me pumped, but something would change on the inside of me from being like, I don't really want to do this, to all of a sudden, I got in a rhythm with this song, and I got in this, in this mode where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to tear this guy's head off in this match. I didn't. I wasn't very good, but... 
but I need you to know that the rhythm of God, if you can get in touch with it and you can get in the rhythm of the Holy Spirit and what God is saying about you, it says, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like my failure is not final, it's fuel. The rhythm of God sounds like I'm not a victim, I'm more than a conqueror. This is not a test, this is part of my testimony. This is not just a mess, this is going to be a message. It might sound like, you know what, my circumstances do not have me buried. Uh, I'm planted and growth is coming through my circumstances. If I can just get in rhythm with the mind of Christ and not let my mind... toxify throughout the day and get back into negative thinking and these different things. You know what? I'm not going to hold on to those thoughts. I'm going to throw those out and I'm going to hold on to the positive thoughts. I'm going to worship instead of worrying. I'm going to allow God to have that space in my life. And, and I'll stand at this line this morning like Roosevelt and say, you know what? I don't think I can do it, but with God, I can do it. And I'm going to move past this thing and say, Holy Spirit, will you come and rise up in me and help me to live out the life that you called me to live so I don't have to be a a prisoner to these emotions any longer. You know, I think a lot of us stand at this line like Roosevelt and we never cross it. And I've learned many people They hold back from serving God and giving their all to God, not because they don't believe in God, but because they they don't believe in their ability to live for God. And I have good news for you this morning. If you choose to step over the line and say, God, I want my mind to be yours, just like my life and my sin and my heart, then you know what? You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to live for God alone. It's not about your strength. It's about his strength, the strength of a wolf that will come upon you and carry you into everything that he has for your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just declare this morning, Lord, that there are some people in this place, God, who've been holding back and letting their mind tell them that they can't do it, that there's some things they see in the scripture that disagree with their lives, but they don't feel like they have the strength to walk those things out, and there's been some negative thinking, and there's been some marriages that have been affected, and some relationships that have been affected, and we're our own worst enemy, but this morning, in the name of Jesus, I declare that there's going to be people to say, you know what, I'm stepping over this line, and I believe the Holy Spirit's going to rise up up in me and give me power over my sin and over my emotions and over my thoughts and my life is going to be different in Jesus name. My self-sabotage is not going to happen the way it used to in Jesus name. Will you stand up to your feet with me this morning? And I want to ask you, we're going to begin to worship and and, and in a moment I want to, I'm going to invite you up and I want to use this altar as a symbol. Sometimes we do things physically for a spiritual reason. And I think God honors that if we step out and say, you know what, God, this is my line and I'm stepping over it. I'm not gonna sabotage myself anymore. I'm gonna be like Teddy Roosevelt and say, you know what? I'm gonna do the thing that I want to do for once. I'm gonna believe that God is gonna help me on the journey. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is gonna come into this place and you're gonna help people change their lives, their thoughts, and their emotions are gonna follow in Jesus' name because you empower us to do everything you promised to us in your word. And we wanna get our minds right. We wanna think on things above and not on earthly things. In the name of Jesus, I wanna ask you to come up right now. That's you and just say, Jesus, I'm taking my mind back and I'm surrendering it to you. I want the mind of Christ. I don't want my own thoughts. I don't want to self-sabotage every relationship I ever have and every person around me feels the weight of it. I'm, I'm no longer going to do it. I'm going to surrender my thoughts and my heart to you this morning. If that's you, come up right now. Right now. Come on, if that's you, I want you to come up and just say, Jesus, that's me, and I'm going forward, and I know you're going with me, and I'm not alone. Come on, let's worship him this morning for a couple minutes.